There is seeing. There is hearing. There is tightness. There is pressure. There's warmth. There's coolness. There's hearing. I think today would be a good day to talk some more about jhana because sometimes you just have to feel better and jhana is a good way to do that. I, I sometimes think of jhana as auto-juicing. You can, uh, by, the, by the power of your own mind, by the way that you direct your mind, you can change something apparently in your brain. Maybe, maybe we're changing brain chemicals. I assume that's what's happening here. And we can access states by auto-juicing. So one way to think of jhana, which as you know is uh, what we're calling meditation track A, the developmental approach and, and the kind of meditation that's aimed at putting you into a state that you've decided in, in advance you want to be in. One way to think of it is something you do for its own sake. You do it because you like doing it. And that's not a bad thing. That's not the only way it's used, though, in Buddhism. There's another way to see it. And, and that, this other way, is what we're going to look at today. I'm going to uh, reenact a sutta called One by One as They Occurred, in which the Buddha is talking about how his chief disciple, Sariputta, goes through eight jhanas progressively, and then, and then into Nibbana. And the approach that Sariputta uses is at each step he asks himself, is there, is there a further freedom to be had than where I just was, than the, the jhana that I'm in now or the one that I just was in? So this will be a guided, guided meditation, a guided tour of eight jhanas, some of which will, the first four of which are review from, for you from the other night. And I think you're going to like it. So as always, when I, when I sit down to put myself in a state, the first thing I realize is that the first thing I want to acknowledge is I'm not in a state. I'm not going to try and force myself. I have to take my time with this. So I'm just going to take inventory. All right, I'm fidgeting, I'm moving around, I'm not even meditating, stretching, taking inventory, maybe do a little, uh, a little noting, meditation type B, coolness, pressure, anticipation, excitement. And as I'm taking stock, it occurs to me to wonder how big the focal scope is, how big is the field. Now, I know that if I'm going to start in the first jhana, which I am, that I'm going to want to get down to a small area on my face, around my nose and mouth. So I could ask myself, am I there? Am I there yet? 
nope, I'm not there. Where does, where does my focus want to be? I'm feeling around for it. And this is a tactile thing. I'm just trying stuff out. Does it want to be tight? No, that hurts. Makes me agitated. Does it want to be as big as the entire retreat center? No, that's not that big. So where's the Goldilocks zone? Well, right now it feels like it's it's about as big as the, as our circle. That's where my focus feels like it wants to be right now. I can kind of feel the room and and all the people in it. <clears throat> and because the the power of suggestion is strong, and I know that I'm I'm gunning for the first jhana. I can feel that the size of that, the, 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 the focal scope shrinking down. So now it's about the size of my own body, just a bubble around my body. And now my face is coming to the fore, the sensations of my face. And I'm just going to settle into that. That feels pretty good. As my attention uh, moves toward my the sensations of my face, it is there's some things it isn't doing because I have a finite attentional resource. So what it isn't doing is wandering around solving problems at the moment. I don't have to do that right now. I'm starting to feel kind of concentrated. So much so that I feel like I can close my eyes and it doesn't feel like I'm straining to do it. And I remember, I reflect on my handles. What are the handles for first jhana that I use? Well, one is to feel the sensations around the nose and mouth. I'm doing that. Noticing lots of subtlety, coolness in the nostrils as I breathe in. Warmth and moistness in the nostrils as I breathe out. I just had a, a wave of well-being. That seems like a good sign. And I want to monitor my eye posture. I remember that there are certain eye postures that seem conducive to the first jhana, so I'm going to check that out. What if I what if with eyes closed I look at my own nose? Very gently. I'm not going to get eye strain over this. And for a moment, my eyes seem to lock into that cross-eyed position. 
and I get a little wave of pleasant sensations arising in the body. It's a very good sign. My posture feels upright, but not stiff. That seems conducive, that seems consistent with first jhana. I try the virtual nose pinch. I imagine reaching up with one of my hands and tweaking my own nose with thumb and forefinger. What would that feel like? Since I know to expect this to come in waves, I'm not worried if my mind wanders off for a while. When it comes back, I feel all of this, all of these handles again. I'm especially receptive to any pleasant sensations arising, rising up through the arms and legs. I just noticed that uh, bumping, pulsing thing that happens with the inhalation. <clears throat> now, since I know I have a lot of ground to cover, I'm not going to spend too much time here in the first jhana. I'm going to ask myself, as did Sariputta, is there anything, uh, is there any greater freedom? Could I let go of something to get to the next rung? And I think, well, yeah, I could not insist that my focal scope be so tight. How about if I let my attention relax a bit and soak into my entire face, my entire head, my, and my whole upper body. In fact, why can't I let my whole body be felt? Now I'm feeling inside and out. I'm letting my attention sink in. And this is the activity that I associate with the second jhana. So I do feel a sense of relief. I'm not as tight as I was. That feels good. And from this point of view, the first jhana was a little bit too frenetic for me. This feels more appropriate. Now the pulsing in my upper body, boom, 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 that affects the breath, so the breath arises in stages, up, rise, rise, rise. It's more gentle than it was in the first jhana, now that I'm in the second. And remember, we're, we're very satisfied with just getting a whiff. We're not trying to get terribly absorbed now. Very patient. 
I feel calm, relatively non-distracted. And now that I feel like I'm, I'm satisfied that I got a, a nice taste of the second jhana flavor, and I know I have a lot of ground to cover, I can ask myself, as did Sariputta, is there anything else? Is there any further freedom to be had? What, what's the excess baggage I could jettison at this stage? Well, I'll follow the trend. I don't have to have my attention be so tight. So how about I just gently feel my skin all over? Feel the coolness on my skin. I'm not zooming in on any one particular place or bouncing around, just letting it in. And I do feel a little more relaxed. I just sloughed off some tension. I even find myself slumping a little bit, which I would expect as I enter the third jhana, or at least advert to the third jhana, which means to turn toward it. I'm not uh, going to check my eye postures here because if I did, the focus would be so tight I would return to a, a lower jhana. So I'm feeling the skin. Bill Hamilton used to say this is kind of like a donut and that you can feel the exterior of it, but there's a, there's a hole in the middle. In the third jhana, the inside of the body isn't available for introspection. That's part of the third jhana. But you can feel your skin. As I ask myself, what is the mind state, understanding that in the third jhana I'm looking for, for bliss in a very chilled out mind, I ask myself, is that what's happening now? Yeah, pretty much. The mind gets quieter. Now we ask the Sariputta question, is there any further freedom? Is there anything else I can let go of? And there is. I don't have to direct the attention at all. I can just let it in, let in whatever sensory inputs come into the body, into the mind, 
And by doing this, I can access the fourth jhana flavor of equanimity. I don't have any stake in what happens here. It's all good, all fine. And I notice that my skin barrier, which was clear in the third jhana, is no longer clear. I'm just a, it's just a blob of changing sensations floating in space. It's not clear where the body begins and ends. This fourth jhana is a place where you can hang out indefinitely once you get the hang of it. It's very effortless, natural. Just feels like the effortless flow of nature, as Shinzen would say. Sometimes I feel gratitude at this stage. Thank you that I don't have to feel bad right now. The fourth jhana is the fourth of the material or body jhanas. And there are four more jhanas, the immaterial or non-body jhanas, which emphasize mental phenomena over body. And it, so at this stage in, in the fourth jhana, Sariputta asks himself his question. Is there any further freedom? Is there anything that I could let go of to go to the next rung? And he reasons that he can let go of the emphasis on the body and be more, uh, more focused on mental phenomena. Now, if you do that, and if you just attempt to notice what's going on in the mind, of course, you can still feel your body. It's not as though it goes away, but you can, uh, you can decide not to emphasize it. So you just kind of ignore the body sensations, and then you, you ask, well, what is left at this stage when I ignore the body sensations? Well, there's still this sense of distance and direction direction and distance, spaciousness. And at this point, you can get a, a taste of the flavor of the jhana of boundless space. 
This is called the fifth jhana, and it's the first of the immaterial jhanas. You can reflect on the boundless nature of the universe. It wouldn't be surprising if you have pleasant sensations come up and, and if you feel contented. Your, your object here is the boundlessness of space. <clears throat> If you were thinking that you ought to have mastered all the previous jhanas before getting to the higher ones, you can, you can dispense with that idea. That isn't true. That isn't how this works. Some people can more readily access higher jhanas than lower. They're just built that way. Now Sariputta asks himself, is there any further freedom to be found? What could I slough off at this point? Well, what if I slough off the sense of spaciousness, the sense of direction and distance, and just notice that I'm, I'm, there's still this alertness, there's still this conscious awareness Space seems to collapse, so everything is right back here at the, at the, in the middle. And in fact, this knowing consciousness is, is the universe. And you enter the sixth jhana, or you feel, you advert to the sixth jhana, the jhana of boundless consciousness. There's nothing in your world except consciousness. Now here, I often become interested in the visuals with my eyes closed. I just, I'm looking at the back of my eyelids and I'm, it's almost, there's almost a kind of mirroring. In other words, I'm looking at myself after all. I am the, my consciousness is the world, the universe.
And now you can ask yourself, as did Sariputta, is there any further freedom, anything I could let go of here? And he realizes that he still has objects of attention. And he thinks, well, what if, what if I pay attention to nothing or no thing? And here we get the flavor of the jhana of nothingness or no-thingness, which is the seventh jhana overall. Now this one is really fun because you want to understand that it isn't really nothing. If it were nothing, you'd be unconscious. That's not what this is. It's the idea, the concept of nothing. And the way that you can access that is, is through negation. Through negation, you see uh, the visuals and you say, is that my object? No, that's not my object. What about these sounds? No, it's fine that they're there, but that's not my object. We dispense with body sensations ages ago. They're not my object, even though, of course, you could feel them if you want to. But we're not that interested. We're after nothing, no thing. These ideas, no. And you, you form a concept of what would nothingness be like? Well, it would be dark. It would be quiet. It would be peaceful. And there would still be this awareness, this conscious awareness of, oh, here's the, here I am, here I am in this nothingness jhana. It's fun because you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry that you're getting it wrong. You just keep playing the game. It's a very fun game. Oh, no, not, that's not my object. My object is nothingness. Now from here, we ask the Sariputta question, is there any further freedom? What else, if anything, could I dispense with? And you realize, well, there isn't much left here except metacognition. In other words, I know I'm in the jhana of nothingness. What if I didn't insist on that? So whatever jhana would come next wouldn't require my supervision. And that jhana is called the jhana of neither perception nor non-perception. And why would it be called that? Because nobody knows what else to call it. 
because you can't notice that you're in it while you're in it. So you, you play this other game. Well, I'm not going to insist that I be there to watch it, but let me see if what happens when I let go of metacognition and just assume that I'm going to float up into the eighth jhana. Now, you want to be very patient with this. You want to be very open-minded because you don't know what to expect. Nobody can tell you. The eighth jhana is known to defy analysis. But it's a very organic thing, so it does happen. And if you're getting any kind of a, a taste of something, you're not sure what it is, maybe you're zoning out, that seems fine. Like all jhanas, we should expect it to come in waves, to go in and out. And there will be moments in between where you're not in the, the jhana of neither perception nor non-perception. You're just outside of it and you might have some interesting feeling of, wow, that's kind of cool. I don't know what that is, but I like it. Let me do it again. Now Sariputta emerges from the eighth jhana to do his reflection. And why does he emerge from the eighth jhana before he reflects? In all the previous jhana, he seems to have reflected while he was still in the jhana. Well, that's pretty easy to figure out. You can't reflect while you're in the eighth jhana. So emerging from the eighth jhana, you look back on it and you, you ask your question, is there anything, is there any further freedom, anything I, that's still present that I could let go of? And he realizes there is. Consciousness itself. Perception itself. and he enters Nibbana.
Now there's something I'd like you, I'd like to bring to your attention about this process according to Buddhism. If you enter Nibbana, you are a stream enterer. And it seems to me not at all unreasonable that a person could access Nibbana this way, this very systematic process of letting go of the next logical thing to let go of until consciousness itself goes, perception itself goes, and you're in Nibbana. And if you ask, well, where is the progress of insight? There is no progress of insight here. This is an alternative method to attain stream entry via jhana from the lips of the Buddha himself. According to the legend, So when I said earlier that you can think of jhana as a means in itself to enjoy uh, a variety of pleasant states, but there's another way to think of it. This is what I meant. You can use jhana as your vehicle to stream entry. And it said that when you attain nibbana and you internalize what it means that the that the ultimate freedom is freedom from experience that changes you in what is thought to be a very beneficial way It's unlikely that you would ever fear death again.
I know that some of you here are jhana masters and some of you are not. And so for those of you who are not, if you are getting even a taste of this self-induced auto-juicing, that is a remarkable accomplishment on your part. It isn't surprising, but it's remarkable. With this skill of jhana, you can, you can learn direct access to any of the jhanas. You can jump from any one to any other. You can choose one at a time to enter and abide in. You can just watch the process unfold organically without having any agenda other than to go into jhanas and see which one comes up. I call that writing the jhanic arc. And if you do that, you might, you might find that it does unfold in the predictable sequence, one through, one through eight, and then back down, eight through one. And it goes up and down in waves. It seems to be something built into how our, how our minds and our brains work once you learn how to access it. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.